Hey guys, it's Mac. Uh, this is going to be one of our um, segments that we're trying to introduce where we actually take all the summaries that we've been given for the whole book together um, and uh, just putting them all into individual episodes. We're probably going to do this about every five episodes or so. And the idea here is we're going to kind of take out the theme music. We're going to take out the intros. Uh, this is the only intro that you're going to hear for this episode, uh, for these, these episodes. And we're going to take out the trailing music. Um, so you might be able to put this together in a playlist. And the theory is that uh, if you take all these summaries together, you'll be able to get, get the entire book um, taken together in uh, one segment. So I don't know how long these are going to be. I think the first five uh, chapters we end up doing in about an hour, which is pretty good timing if you want to actually get all the chapters together. But if you're interested in potentially being able to um, experience or get a good summary of everything that's happened in the book, uh, but you don't have the time to go through all 20 hours of it, then you can think of this as a little bit more detailed than Coppermind, maybe on like a Sparknotes level, um, but not nearly as good as getting the book itself. All right, with that, let's get started. All right, so we open up on kind of being introduced to this man by the name of Lord Trusting. He's the plantation slash master, owner, whatever it is, a nobleman in this world. And he's trying to entertain a person he refers to as an obligator. Now, this is a lot to unpack here, but an obligator in a quick sense is a bureaucrat who kind of authenticizes and, you know. Like the justice of the peace kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he basically explains that they're glorified witnesses. You need to make them happy because they keep things moving in the final empire. And he's trying to impress him through his cruelty. Uh, that's literally what it ends up coming down to. You are kind of given this view of these people called the Ska, which are just straight up slave labor in this world. It's a class of people and they're looked down upon. They're worked basically to death. And this obligator is giving Lord Trusting a pat on the back for how brutal he is to his Ska. You know, they, they're very happy that his Ska don't rebel, that his Ska don't run away, that his Ska are just there to work. Um, there's even a point, I believe, where he kind of hints at he assaults the women of the Ska and the obligator pats him on the back for cleaning up his messes. It is very much a very cruel intro into this world. But what really catches him off guard, something that is huge at this point, is when Lord Trusting finally meets Kelsier for the first time, just through a single glance of defiance. And it's so sinister to him so off-putting for what he's used to this beaten down class of people that it physically causes him to have a reaction that he kind of pulls back and by the time he looks back the 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 skull the mysterious skull kelsier is no longer seen yeah i always i always i imagine this scene where i it doesn't say that he winks at him but i always imagine that like he gives him a wink and he's like what and he turns around and he's like oh he's not there anymore yeah he's gone <laughs> and by that point he he orders more whippings. He 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 very much believes in any sense of fire left in the skull. He believes in essentially beating it out of them and making sure that they are completely under his control. We kind of move on from this scene and we get to the point where we finally get Kelsier's point of view as he goes into one of the Ska's huts at night when the, the mist of the world is finally beginning to creep in. And we learn that Kelsier himself is a Ska, and he's known as, he's one of the Ska 
who aren't afraid to travel at night from plantation to plantation, which we learn is illegal in the final empire. The mm -hmm. Ska need to stay where they are, they are owned. They are property and they cannot freely move. And one interesting bit of information we learned too is that the Ska aren't even Lord Trusting's property. They're the Lord Ruler's property mm -hmm. in which he's being, they're essentially being leased out to these noblemen of the final empire. Um, from this point, we kind of move through Kelsier being his charming self, and we'll we'll dive a lot more into Kelsier, who's seeming to be, at least at this point in the book, our main point of view character. And we get to see his his charm and his charismatic nature come out. We see him smiling all the time, to the point where the skull, even in the in the scene, point out, how can you smile so much? And he he kind of he kind of introduces himself in a way that he's here to bring news and share news, and that's why they they take him. And even the elder, I think the elder's name was Trapper. Trapper even mentions mentions this that he's here because he can give them news from the outside. All of them are too afraid to leave. And there is a point where Trapper kind of starts to sense that Kelsier might have an alternative motive for being here. It is not just he's traveling, and he basically tells him to uh, to screw off and leave. And this was a perfect introduction to the mists themselves, because as Kelsier opens up this door to leave, the mists start to creep in, and you see how all the Ska are so scared. They're terrified. They start murmuring things. I believe one woman even says, if we go out into the mist, it'll steal our souls. And Kelsier is just kind of like amused slash concerned, but not necessarily concerned about how they feel, more concerned that he, I think he even says, I'm going to have to get them over this at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we learn very much about how the mists themselves seem to have an almost supernatural presence in the world, at least to these, this group of people, the Ska. Because the mists are kind of creeping in and they're afraid about what Kelsier might become in the mist and about how he might come back after he's changed to, to enact revenge or whatever it is, they ultimately let him stay, like, begrudgingly. And he reveals that when we saw him a moment ago, and he caught Lord Trusting's eyes, he was actually there to steal food from him. Uh, Kelsier reveals all the noblemen's food, which to us in, you know, our day and age would be, you know... It's like bread the, and fruit. The dollar store pickums. Yeah, you know, it's like, just whatever, you know, you can get in a pantry. Yeah, but to them, it is luxurious. They, they Most of the times, I believe even the older Ska, who I believe goes by Menace, even says, I can't eat that because his stomach's just not used to even food that... Like, I don't want to say refined, but that different. Which is actually a medical condition that can actually happen from starvation. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And so he reveals this food and he basically gets them, tries to win over the group. Trapper's not having any of it. The elder, which by the way, the elder's like, I think he mentions five years older than Kelsier, like 40 years old. Yeah. And so that's that speaks to their conditions that people will see that as an elder in their community. They, they don't live long. Mm -hmm. especially with, like, with what they have to go through consistently. So Kelsier's alternative, like his different motive comes out at this point. He starts, you start to see the real Kelsier and the real reason why he's here. And I believe he ends up even saying it out loud. He's here to stir up some trouble. Mm -hmm. He says that like four times. <laughs> yeah. Trapper recognizes him when he reveals everything as someone that we get to know as the survivor. 
Well, what does he see that he calls the survivor? So he sees on his arms just a whole bunch of scars where it looks like uh, like there were different cuts. Maybe objects were pushed in. It was just a bunch of scarring on his arms, kind of uh, starting at the wrist up. And even I believe he even had him kind of covering his hands too. Um, but it's the scarring. And Trapper knows him as the survivor by this. Well, at this point, Trapper's kind of stuck because he can't send him out into the mist because everyone's afraid. And everyone's really wanting to hear his stories now that he's brought them food. This right. wonderful food. The the stories and the news are they're like, okay, you came here for a reason. Let's yeah, hear let's yeah, hear yeah. the gossip. Well, he doesn't even get to really get that off. Everyone kind of ignores him after the foods, except for Menace, who seems to be, I would say, an actual elder of the ska. He's an older man, way older than Trapper. I don't think it gives us an age, but I always kind of assume and see him in his like late fifties, early sixties by this point. Yeah. He's kind of getting to that point where it's like he's already lived a harsh life, but even if you haven't, your body's starting to get to that mm-hmm, point where it's mm-hmm. like the physical labor isn't going to work out very well anymore. And he points out to Kelsier, the only people who have those scars are from the pits. Mm-hmm. And we get introduced to the idea of the pits of Athsin, which I believe further into the book we'll learn a lot more about. Mm-hmm. But the pits of Athsin are apparently this terrible place that no one has ever been able to live and escape from. And they only come back dead, essentially. They only come back dead. And Kelsier has these wounds. And that's really what kind of causes Menace to take an interest in him. Well, Menace, before Menace can kind of get any more out, because he really wants to know what the heck Kelsier's actually doing there. You know, Kelsier keeps telling him, I'm here to start trouble. I'm here to start trouble. He wants to know what that means. But before we can get to that point, we're cut off by a scream. Now, earlier in the book, earlier in this prologue, Lord Tresting says it's time for him to celebrate because he's made the obligator so happy. And he picks out a, a very young girl to celebrate with that mm-hmm. night. And we hear her and her mother screaming. And we get our first introduction into the magic system with Kelsier burning, whatever that means, burning a metal. And suddenly he, his senses get amplified tenfold. He can hear everything perfectly. He describes how he can feel the individual fibers in his clothing. The, the fire itself feels like he's right up next to it, even though it's across the room. And everything gets amplified and he can hear everything perfectly. And we see his character crack. The smile goes away. We see, we, we, we see fury. In this character, who at the, up to this point, I want to say there's a quote that I want to mention. Um, he's, he basically mentions how, you know, he, he gets asked how can he smile with how these harsh conditions by menace. And, and Kelsey responds with, you know, the Lord Ruler believes that he's monopolized happiness and joy. And I'm inclined to say he hasn't. This is yeah. one thing <laughs> I can still do. I can always smile. I can always laugh. And then that moment later... You see the crack and you see the fury and Kelsier leaves. Everyone, you know, everyone believes in this case that uh, they don't know what he's going to do. In fact, I want to say that Menace even believes, well, he's off to go get himself killed. Pretty much everyone thinks he's gone to go die. And, you know, it's kind of a shame because he had so many, he had goals that he kept speaking of, but he's just, he's just one of us. What well, can he and, do? And they, he kept saying, they're like, oh, if you, you're never going to be able to start that revolution if you go get yourself killed tonight, son. And he's like, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think at one point when he asked him about the trouble he's making, Kelsey responded with like, "What? What do you mean? Like, because he was like, Menace was like, I, I, you know, we need to fight. Or, or no, Menace is like, we can't fight mm-hmm. or whatever. We don't want to start a fight. And Kelsey's like, what do you mean? You're already fighting. You're just losing terribly. You're just, you're, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're, like, you don't, you, it isn't a choice. You're, you're forced into it and you're losing mm-hmm. and you're just okay with losing. Well, Kelsey isn't okay with losing and he leaves. Menace wakes up the next day surprised because normally it's the taskmasters coming in and waking everyone up and getting their butts moving. But he wakes up and they go outside and they smell a burning building. They see the young girl who was supposedly taken reunited with her mother. And we get a quick introduction, which we'll go a little bit deeper into this. They try to refer to her as a mist wraith. And everyone says, no, 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 she's not a mist wraith. She's not a mist wraith. Because she came out in the sun. A mist wraith can't do that. Yeah, they can't do that. Um, But everything's burned down. The the manor, at least. The Mm -hmm. manor's burned down. There's no guards. There's no taskmaster. There's nobody. All that's left is this little girl who explains how Kelsier apparently single-handedly went in and killed every guard, killed Lord Tresting, and basically killed everybody. And I think they said they had like a half dozen guards, at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think Kelsier himself even said, you know, Lord Tresting, you know, his, his refinement in food sucks, but he has a good eye for guards. For guards, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're just left there with that image of the burning down building. And Menace finally realizing what happened. Kelsier backed them into a corner. Kelsier basically said, you wouldn't fight, but now you really have no choice. Because when if whoever comes back here, y'all are all dead anyway. And Menace realizes this and he curses him. Dang yeehaws. Menace realizes this, and he curses Kelsier, because Kelsier's getting what he wants at the end of the day, which is they are going to have to march off through the mist to some caves where there is potentially a growing Skull Rebellion. And that's where we're left with the prologue. All right, let's go into chapter one then. So we're introduced to Vin, uh, a small Skull girl who... um, she mentions is abandoned by her older brother and is kind of just stuck in this thieving, thieving crew uh, run by a name, a man by the name Cayman. And she's stuck there because her brother abandoned her and left her with his debt. And at this point, she doesn't know what she could possibly do. And she owes Cayman whatever this debt is. And so she works for him. And we're kind of like introduced to her while she's solo she seems to be kind of afraid trying to stay away from the other crew members trying to keep to herself and very solitary until one of the crew members by the name of Yulith comes and grabs her and tells her that the 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 crew is the crew leader came and is looking for her and man we're introduced to a very abusive relationship very quickly Vin shows up and with any sort of little defiance you know, all the way up to just showing up a little late, came and smacks her. Just and we we see very quickly what kind of guy Cayman is. He seems to be super nervous because they're pulling a job, and Vin notices that his abuse comes from his nervousness in the sense that he's worried because they are looking to scam the nobles and an obligator. 
this is a very different view of the ska that we had compared to the the plantation ska in the prologue. They're aggressive, you know. They're like the the plantation ska seem to be completely beaten down and broken, not a ounce of rebellion in their body here. Yet the thieving crews here in Luthadel, they are ambitious. This this crew leader is trying to scam an obligator, which we saw the importance of in the prologue with the way a nobleman and lord trusting the way he treated one so uh you can kind of get the sense and i don't know about other people i got a little tension here just in the little bit i knew you know we're getting introduced to this guy who's trying to scam an obligator well before cayman decides he's really nervous vin is kind of pointing out some inconsistencies in their scam um cayman's trying to play the 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 part of a a lord who is in desperate need his house is in financial ruin and the only way that he can save it is to basically give the steel ministry the people where the obligators work or the place where the obligators work uh, a deal they can't refuse a deal so good and i want to say it's like they were talking about transporting goods up canals um people i think um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing down the still ministries, uh, acolytes, yeah, acolytes. Yeah. yeah. And so he's trying to offer them a deal. They can't refuse essentially. And he's going to take the money cut and run. Well, the big important thing we learned here is he's working with another crew leader and this other crew leader basically laid down the found the groundwork and the foundation for this scam by paying off the right people, developing the right connections for transporting goods via canal. Correction. It was a little. It was a little bit different. What the plan was going to. So what the plan I think was initially was that that crew leader who set things up was they were going to get the contract to transport these people, and they learned that there was ATM or something else that was going with them, a bunch of money that would follow them at the same time, and they were going to raid their own ship and yeah, take yeah. all of that, and then they were going to be like, oh well, I guess we got robbed. Uh, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with this foundation laid. Vin started poking some holes in it, though. Vin started mentioning, at least with, with when in regards to, to Cayman, you know, hey, your servants, you know, they're not good enough, you know. They're, they're too rich. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't know. Was it that they were yeah, too rich? Yeah, yeah. He was saying, she was saying, like, oh, um, you're, you're supposed to be an impoverished, desperate nobleman. Yeah, they looked and too you, good. And, you're yeah. got, and you have these, like, really, really wealthy people. Like, if you go in with this, you're not going to look like you're desperate. You're going to look like you're trying to scam someone. Yeah, well, in this moment, Cayman decides he's going to get a bit angry, and he's going to smack her again. And Vin decides to use her luck. Whatever it is, Cayman suddenly kind of calms down, lets it go, and listens to Vin, and kind of takes her advice and corrects some things that she pointed out, but not everything. Well, regardless, the obligator shows up and is ready to make this deal. The obligator kind of sniffs it out. This deal is a little too good to be true. And you can get the sense that he's he's picking up, like, he might not know it's a scam, but he knows that there's something, that, that, that there's something to be worried about here. Right. He's like, I, I'm already, like, going to refuse this. But they already know if he was really going to refuse him, he wouldn't show up in the first place. Exactly. And so with that understanding, Cayman kind of pushes it, offers an even better deal than that they were going to give originally. And Vin once again uses her luck. And it's kind of described as Vin just focuses on the obligator. And the obligator goes from being suspicious to being relaxed. And 
calm and she even has moments where she lets go of the luck and you can see he almost instantly goes back to being suspicious and then she does it again and she eventually gets to the point where this obligator decides this is a good enough deal that i'm going to take it back to my council and the ministry and we're going to discuss it we're not going to just abandon you and that is where we're ending with chapter one a relatively short chapter but moving into chapter two we get the arrival of Kelsier in Lufidel. And man, we get an absolutely like beautiful description of the sprawling city. It's nothing like the plantations. It's I don't want to say it has like a modern feel to it, but it has like an early Victorian kind of feel to it in terms of its description here. And we get a, a big description of Credic Shaw, which ends up being the Lord Ruler's palace that's just uh, twice as large as everything else in this city. I want to say that they described it as being a hill of a thousand spires. The house of a thousand spires. Spires, yeah. And it's just kind of incredible. Well, we get Kelser meets up with. Well, one thing I kind of want to go through, like before we get out, is like the big description of this city um, is is you know the their black stained buildings, black streets, a red sun and a darkened sky, ash everywhere that has to be constantly cleared out. So again, we're getting back to this environment, to this really, really, really dark, you know, overcast area, um, really dreary place to go into. Yeah, and like, you know, at this point, like, we've gotten very, very big mentions of the ash. Like, where is this ash coming from? It's just falling out of the sky. Right. And a pretty gloomy place. Like, I think of like like early Victorian England when it was hitting the industrial industrial stage. Everything's covered in soot yeah. kind of thing. Just absolutely disgusting place to live. And whose job is, is it to clean up? The ska. The, the ska, mm. yep. Well, Kelsier meets up with the first member of his crew. And oh, I gotta love Kelsier's crew. But here we go. We get our first introduction to the first crew member, Doxon. And Doxon talks about um, needing a plan again, or needing some sort of plan of getting the crew back together. Kelsier wants to pull them all back together for something, and kind of kind of talks about how they're gonna they're gonna figure that out, and then wonders how the heck Kelsier got in. You know, he goes, "I have people watching every entry into the city for you. How did you get in?" And Kelsier kind of gives him the look and the nod, and Undoxon's like, "Oh yeah, that I you know." I can't, you know, I need to remember now that you're different than the last time we met. Right. And kind of gives that nod to like, okay, you know, we kind of saw it in the prologue, but what exactly is, is different Kelsier? Kelsier. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he's taking docs and notes that he's going to take some getting used to, to uh, this new ability and that Breeze and Hammond are mentioned. Breeze and Ham as you know other potential crew members that they need to pull back together that's our first kind of introduction to them and uh they mentioned that they're someone that they that they call a smoker that their their original smoker is dead and so that they're going to need to find a new one uh they mentioned the, this guy by the name of clubs who essentially has a nephew that's a ten eye and we're starting to get these descriptions of what's a smoker? What's a tenai? Like, what are all these different titles that these people hold in the in the criminal underworld? And Doxon and Kelser just both seem as giddy as children to be working a job together again. They're both so happy. Doxon is excited to see Kelser. It's been 
according to them, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been wondering kind of what Kelsier's been up to up to this point, but uh, I think they mentioned like three or four years, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I probably it's been it was a while. Right. Um, but then we get to get that bit of a view, and we are launched back to Cayman and Vin as a point of view here, with Vin being our point of view character, and. Cayman is going off script. Vin's trying to figure out what the heck's going on because Cayman is willingly taking her and a couple of other servants to the Steel Ministry. Just going right into... Just walking in. And Vin, Vin is... Surrounded very, by all the enemies. <laughs> yeah, Vin is very adamant in her own mind here going like, this is the same guy who was anxious to have an obligator in the same room as him, yet he's walking into Obligator Central. Mm-hmm. Walking into the lion's den. And she cannot figure out why. She's starting to try to put it all together. We, we learned very quickly that Vin is a very observant and very smart character. She is like starting to run the calculations in her brain. Why would this be happening? And Cayman decides that he wants to meet one-on-one with the previous obligator because he wants to betray the other crew leader. Right. In his mind, he said, why do all of that when we could get a down payment to get our boats running? And then just run. And the other crew leader is going to be left, left with hanging. the aftermath yeah, see, of what's going to happen. And the other guy was like his rival or something like that. Yeah. And Vin, Vin after kind of having this pointed out, she asked, came in and came in amidst to it. And Vin immediately goes, well, that makes sense. You know, everyone betrays everyone. That ring, her brother's voice in her head, everyone betrays everyone. Mm-hmm. And she was starting to wonder that, you know, Cayman must have seen this coming. She, he, that the other crew leader probably was going to betray him. Mm-hmm. And so they try to get a one-on-one. And that obligator's not there to that day. And instead, they're introduced to a high pralin, which is like the boss, the boss of the obligators, one of the bosses. And oh boy, Vin's alarms start going off. We uh, you know, Cayman's pretending to be the small, decrepit house. Why is there a high pralin talking to him? Mm-hmm. And Vin is so nervous, something is just eating at her that something's going wrong. Well, the Praelin basically asks Cayman to convince him to why this occurs, and Cayman does a terrible job. Well, a terrible job. He I just mean, kept saying, I mean, he he does a job. He does basically what he did before, he, but he kept saying, I'm not convinced. You could do better than that. Yeah. I mean, I say he does a terrible job because he gave a pitch to someone you'd give as an intro pitch. It's like mm-hmm. the idea of that's a pitch that, I would give you in a room trying to get you to get on board with something. That's not a pitch I'd give as like a business pitch, right? And so in that case, I think he does a terrible job. Sure. And I mean, it doesn't work. And I mean, I mean yeah, the, the, the high pralin goes, basically just keeps egging him on. Convince me, convince me. Well, what finally gets him to shut up is Vin to the rescue. Vin uses her luck and tries to calm him down, make him less suspicious. But then almost immediately... The high praline goes, you've convinced me. And Vin's alarms go freaking crazy at that point. She had just used her luck, and suddenly everything turned out. This guy was convinced quicker with the use of her luck than the the, the grunt obligator. Mm-hmm. And he hands over 3,000 boxings to Cayman. Cayman's as giddy as can be and leaves. Everything is going exactly to plan. They walk out. Bam. 
we cut but, back to but Do- they but they had said the obligator was super happy and mm-hmm. they said whenever there's a happy obligator you're in trouble yeah yeah well we cut right back to dachshund and kelsier's point of view they've been watching them they were standing outside the miser- the ministry and they are watching came and leave with finn dachshund's mentioning how kelsier's brother marsh um came and tried to scam marsh you know and how basically marsh told dachshund hey keep an eye on the girl the girl's special and so there they are waiting and as they both expect came in and vin leave and not less than a minute later the high pralin comes walking out with the steel inquisitor ready to follow them now the steel inquisitor man <laughs> scary mm-hmm. uh kelsier they give the brief description this is a something that kelsier is, you know describes as superhuman it is a thing a person or a thing with two gigantic spikes pushed through their eye sockets and coming out the back of their skulls it's basically like big railroad spikes coming through. Oh through, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Bigger actually by the description, it sounds like. But yeah, I mean long, long too. It goes right. clean through the socket and out the back of the head. Right. This is a monstrosity. Um, that's no, there's no better way to put it. And both Doxin and Kelsier are shaken. And I mean, this is the confident Kelsier. This is the guy who killed an entire plantation, plantation of guards. Yeah. And even he is kind of a bit shaken. Well, that doesn't last for long, though. Kelsier tells Doxin, hey, go get rid of the tails. We don't need them following Vin and Cayman. He doesn't give them by name, but he, we don't need him, them being followed. And we are left and ended in this chapter with Kelsier again burning some sort of metal, as he says it. And he says he pulls on the Steel Inquisitor. Something, he does something. And the Steel Inquisitor turns and looks at him. And Kelsier says, time for to give you a little bit of a chase. And that is where we're left at the end of chapter two. All right, chapter three. Yes, so chapter three is pretty cool. I think it's where stuff gets interesting. Things are starting to get interesting. Um, they start to lay the foundation a lot more for uh, the mysteries we're going to have and the magic system in general. And I think it's just awesome. So chapter three we open up with Vin as our point of view character, and her and Cayman had just returned from their big heist, their big scam. 3,000 boxings. Um, Cayman is flaunting this money like crazy, and Vin's kind of questioning why he's doing that. And, it, you know, it makes sense. She's like, he's taking a calculated risk. He's basically saying, hey, you could knife me in the back for these, or you can see what I did, and I can get us more. I can get us more. This is why you should work under me and things like that. Well, everyone's happy as can be. They're getting drunk. They're having a good time. They're essentially partying and celebrating the fact that they made more in this one scan than they would make in a good year. And Vin still has those flags. She has that instinct in her telling her that something is terribly wrong and we know what we know what that terribly wrong thing is we saw it last uh very subtle foreshadowing (laughs) yeah so vin has this terrible feeling and you know we get a glimpse that even through all of rain's training uh, her brother even through everything that's happened to her she holds that she's a good person and you can see that because she could have just left but instead 
she tries to get the one person that she sees as uh, not been terrible to her in this crew, Ulif. And she tries to get him to leave with her. She tries to subtly warn him that something bad could be happening. He eventually kind of forces it out of her and says, like, what do you think's going to happen? And she mentions that maybe the ministry is going to come looking for them. And so he agrees to leave with her. She goes and gets a, a bunch of her personal belongings, which in this case happens to be like a box of uh, some goods. I think it involves her like earrings and a couple of other things like that. And by the time she comes back, Ulyss missing. No, oh wait, he's not missing. He's next to Cayman, and Cayman is furious. Furious and drunk. Cayman thinks that she's about to betray him to the ministry, and so he goes into a fury and just starts laying into her. And uh, no matter what she tries, she really can't get away from him. She He's beating her senseless. At There's brief moments where you think she might get away because she kind of focuses on something inside of her and gets this like inner strength for a second and tries to fight back but ultimately by the end of it she's forced to try to use all of her luck on him and she like releases in one big like push of energy and it doesn't work or it works for like a second and then it's like it comes back even worse yeah um yeah, it, it works for a second. He kind of like lowers her for just a moment. But the big thing here is, and that she recognizes too, is this is a man who thought he was going to be sold out, which would mean his death. And he's drunk. There's no nothing there stopping him. All the filters are gone. And he's he's going to beat her to death when mm-hmm. she sees it. Um, luckily, though, it stops because there is an, uh, the door opens. And... People think, oh crap, whoever this uh, unlucky lackey is about to get it to, and this mysterious man comes walking in. Um, this person we already know as Kelsier. You see the, they see the scars and everything, and before Cayman can even say a word, he's flung against the wall. Um, just pushed. Vin is super duper surprised and everyone kind of just like freezes in this moment and Cayman or Kelsier is followed in by Doxon and Cayman recognizes Doxon. Kelsen, uh, Cayman pretty quickly recognizes who Kelsier is too once he sees the scars and refers to him as not just the survivor but the survivor of Hathsin. So, so they're pretty well known. Yeah, I mean, yeah, very well known. Doxon was well known to mm-hmm. this guy, and mm-hmm. again, that kind of paints the light. There's like, who is Doxon? If he pulls this sort of cred as well, uh, not just Kelsier. Well, Kelsier kind of explains that, uh, or Cayman kind of tries to grovel at Kelsier a little bit. You know, oh, what are you doing, Master Kelsier? What are you doing, Doxon? Blah, 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 and Kelsier just literally looks at him and goes. I'm not having any of this, and just flings him again. And everyone is just stunned at this point. He starts talking to the the crew as a whole and is like, y'all owe me a large debt because uh, this guy over here, Cayman, brought down the Ministry and a Steel Inquisitor on you. And I handled the Steel Inquisitor. And leading up to this point, the reason that no one jumped him, you know, or got, or got excited or, like, lost their mind, because they're all drunk themselves, Vin says... He's using luck on all of them. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I did forget to mention that. While, while he's talking there, even 
Vin's her portion of the brain that's screaming at her like you know I was just about to be killed I need to run now was just numb right she tries to run away and she notices that all of a sudden that all just washes away and she felt a peace and he's like she's like what is happening and then she realized that the whole room was like that and he was like oh man so you know Kelsier comes in and he says you know he was about to bring in the steel ministry the steel inquisitors are following you and I took care of that yeah and he kind of just lets that linger because you know we'll hear more about it at points but like up to this point you know we saw in the last chapter even kelsier who we you know saw killed a plantation full of guards even he feared a steel inquisitor Mm -hmm. and so just like leaving that and him him you know us knowing who he is and us knowing how he's afraid of them you can imagine what the what a normal person would feel like in this case and so just letting that hang in the air, uh, that combined with this luck that's being kind of pushed throughout the room, one of the crew members decides, well, you know, uh, Cayman does, isn't looking that great, and uh, I don't want to be the next one up against a wall. And so he goes and grabs all the money and presents it to Kelsier and, you know, says, this is all we have. Will this cover our debt? And Kelsier eventually, right then and there, just through words, says, hello, crew leader, you know, so-and-so, you're, you're now in charge. And now that you're in charge, I'm, I want to pay you to let me use this location for a meeting and to also take care of Cayman. But I don't want him dead. I just want him handled. Which, uh... I, I think he said, I don't want him to die, but I don't want him to like it. Yeah, and or something like that. <laughs> thinking about how bad it is, and how you know, up to this point, Luthadel has kind of been painted. Uh, this very much seems like a world where there there exist fates worse than death. And they said they're like, we're gonna make him a beggar, and they're like, and they said the Lord Ruler is not kind to those types of people. But I think Ben says, I know for a fact that once Kelsey's back is turned, they're just gonna kill him. But you know, he doesn't need yeah. to know that. Yeah, and so with this, he pays them. They all leave because Kelsier asked him to ask them all to leave, but he says that he wants to talk to Vin. And so instantly the whole crew is really like kind of concerned and not concerned for her safety, more concerned that we just let this girl get the, get the stuff beat out of her. And now he wants to talk to her. Oh boy. And so they, they leave and they take him in with them and they go to handle that. I'm pretty sure. I think Doxon, um no Kelsier mentions that Doxing killed the two ministry spies and says hey get rid of those bodies for us too you know get them out and get them out of here and once it's just Vin Kelsier and Doxing you get this playful banter between Kelsier and Doxing they basically are you know shooting it like they were best friends you know just talking about how it was really fun to kind of mess around with these people and things like that and Doxing kind of saying like you know oh this is all already going to your head essentially and they just kind of play around with each other and Vin is just still just kind of stuck like what the heck's going on we went from this guy intimidating an entire crew of thieves to they're joking about it the next like the minute they're gone uh who are these people but what keeps her there is that idea of how he used luck on everyone and she wants to know how that is possible because up until this point, she believed that made her unique and special compared to everybody else. She hadn't seen it before, 
you know, hadn't run into it yet or before or anything like that. So she was just as curious. Well, they sit down and begin kind of talking and Vin is, you know, using all of Rain's, you know, training and tricks that she's been given, you know, don't accept a drink from them. Don't accept a drink from them. Don't, um, you know, if they're asking for something or they're being nice to you, they want something from you, you Mm -hmm. know, those, those whole ideas and everything. And, Kelsey eventually sits her down and explains, like, you know, asks kind of like, do you know what you did to the obligator? And she mentions using her luck. And he goes, yep, that's a a form of a emotional allomancy. And, you know, there's going to be many lessons to come then, but this one needs to be said right now. Never use emotional allomancy on an obligator. They're trained to feel it. So we kind of got that sense, you know, if you ask me, I think that obligator in the chapter two knew what was happening to him and just was trying to confirm it to try to set up a trap. Right, right. Because that's when she she pushed, she pushed a little bit, she pushed a little bit more. And then he was like, okay. And yeah, and then obviously the second guy was just trying to bait her. And that's when she gave herself away. Yep. So He's kind of talking about these allomantic powers that Vin's heard about. She never, I think at one point she even mentions, she never thought that, you know, her luck was an allomantic power. And Kelser, like, basically, you know, mentions that allomancy was this reward given to the nobles by the Lord Ruler a thousand years ago because they served him. And how the the power is... Um, you know, it was passed down through lineage, passed down through bloodline. And the only time Ska ever will get this power in any way, shape, or form, it would mean that they would have to have noble blood somewhere in their lineage. And that's what Vin and Kelsey are of. They are both noble. This kind of catches Vin off guard, or, uh, Vin off guard because she, up to this point, Reen has like drilled into her to never let anyone know that she has any nobility in her. And so he, she, she's kind of surprised, but it makes sense to her once he explains, like, you know, Kelsey's like, you have to be noble. That's the, you know, you have to have some sort of noble blood in you. That's the only way you can even manifest this ability. Well, he convinces her to drink this liquid that contains metal in it, along with alcohol. Doxin explains it to her. You know, she makes him take half of it first to make sure it's not poison or anything like that. But she takes it and she expects this like big surge of power. You know, that's what they've been talking about. She doesn't get anything. But then she goes to look at her luck. And I want to say she calls it like a, a gold hoard. Yeah. Luck. It's just this it's massive. It's, it's so much more. She mentions like, like I could, you know, I could do, I could use my luck for like, you know, hours, days. And then like, it would be okay. And so... This kind of catches her off guard and kills her, asks her to use her luck on him. And he does, and she does. And he goes, cool, you know, we knew you could do that. Now, feel the other luck. Or rather, he, he says, I want you, you were able to calm me. Are you able to do the opposite? Yeah. And she reaches inside of herself and she senses something else in there that he she thought it was a huge one set of powers but she actually feels a second different luck there yeah and she kind of surprised by it and she takes that in and she kind of applies it the same way she does her original luck and kind of pushes it towards kelsey and kind of 
you know, kind of pulls on him a bit. And Kelsier just smiles and says, that confirms it. And Doxin, you know, just a surprise is kind of put off by the idea of like, man, it's you and now her. And Vin believes, oh, you know, I'm a misting like you. And he goes, nope, we're not mistings. We're something that every nobleman in the entire final empire just desires. They would give anything to have a mistborn on their crew. And it turns out Vin and Kelsey are both mistborn. So I think the way he explains it here is he explains how mistings have, uh, have control and can use one of the eight basic allomantic metals and mistborn have access to all of them. And we've through this, you know, they ask, you know, who, you know, who's Vin, where's Vin's lineage comes from. And she mentions how her mother was a prostitute and her father is a high pralin, which really paints a picture of someone way, way up there in, in status. And, you know, how the father's out of the picture, the mother tried to kill her and her brother saved her. And kind of, we kind of get that little bit of insight into her backstory there. But, um, Overall, yeah, it it ends with essentially um, Kelsier explaining to Vin that she uh, is already one of the most powerful and influential people in the final empire, and the fact that she doesn't have to play by the nobleman's rules means that she's even more powerful than them. All right, so chapter four. So the Motley crew comes in. Yeah, so we open up again on Vin as our point of view character, and she's now with Cayman's old crew, now run by one of his former crew members. The name escapes me. And they're kind of discussing what Kelser could be planning. And the big thing to take away here is no one's even mentioning or caring about what happened to Vin. Even Yulith, the guy who betrayed her, is like... You know, kind of giving off the air of like, yeah, and like, I'll do it again. That's just life. You know, that's what's going to happen. And, but they, they're kind of trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's the connection? And they refer to Vin as a twixt, which is kind of described as a person who's an in-between. You know, so like she's a part of Cayman's old crew. And so she's going to be the one crew member that Kelsey's crew talks to, to kind of get like a, some ideas flowing between the two or to basically give them the errands that they're going to run working with this other crew. And, uh, you know, they're kind of surprised that they chose Vin for that. Uh, little do they know. They don't have no idea what we found out last, uh, last chapter, but the crew really kind of lays down and focuses on Kelsier here. And they try to figure out like what the heck happened because apparently before the pits of Hafsin, Kelsier was still incredibly well-known. And we kind of get a glimpse into to that history of his. He was considered one of, if not the best, crew leader in Luthadel. He, they, I think they mentioned he would rob noblemen, the ministry. It didn't matter. He went after everybody, and he was always, he always won, no matter what happened. And the only way they even caught him was because the Lord Ruler himself put a trap for him. Yeah. So they 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 talk about how yeah the Lord Ruler put a trap down for him. Like ultimately. Kelsier took a job or then like put up a job where the Lord Ruler himself got involved. They caught him and they sent him and his wife Mare to the Piths of Hafsen. Uh And they sent him there to die. We still do not really learn what's at the pits. No one seems to know what the heck is actually at the pits. They just know that when you go there, you don't come back. And Kelsier became the survivor 
of Hathson. He became the one and only person to ever be known to have survived and escaped the pits. But his wife died there. And we kind of get this little moment with Vin going, well, I mean, he's lost someone too. And the, that connection kind of begins to form again where she she sees herself or she sees him and, you know, herself and kind of that, that, that glimpse of like this person went through a lot of crap, the same as I did. And, um, well, from here, you know, people believe that his scars, like Kelsier's scars, the scars that we've been referring to this entire time, that the book's been referring to this entire time, they believe that they came from like three different things. Um, one of them, one of them mentions that these scars maybe came about because they were scaling a wall in which he had to escape and he cut himself up doing it. Another one says that he killed a monster in the pits, one of the monsters that defends the pits of the Hassan, and he killed it by stuffing his arm down its throat and strangling it from the inside. Um, and then another one mentions that, hey, you know, he arrived here claiming he killed one already. Maybe he killed a Steel Inquisitor on his way out. And that's why, that's where he got those scars. And they can all agree, though, that the Kelsier that went in is not the same. The Kelsier that went in was not a misting, which they kind of all believe him to be. Um, and a lot of them think, that's not even Kelsier anymore. You know, sort of like kind of a flashback to the prologue here with the, the plantation ska. Um... They believe Kelsier's not alive anymore, you know, something's probably wearing his face, and they, they mention that, that that possible thing is a mist wraith. Um, it kind of shows here, because in the city, it kind of seemed like the Skull were almost used to the mist. It almost seemed like being in the city, people really didn't fear it anymore. I mean, it still made them uneasy, but we never got the sense that the people in the city feared the mist. And uh, it's kind of funny because one of the guys argues that and says, like, we go out in the mist all the time in the city. And one person goes, yeah, but have you gone out into the mist outside of the city? That's where the mist wraiths are. Mm -hmm. And that's where they'll get you. And that's probably what, what happened to Kelsier. And uh, so, yeah, ultimately, they, they believe that he's has to be something greater. At the very least, they start bringing up the rumors again of Mistborn, they say. He's probably a Mistborn. If he's not a Mistwraith, he's a Mistborn. Or maybe he's a Mistborn, Mistwraith, they don't know. They just, he's not human anymore, is what they seem to claim. And, man, so, they consider Mistborn, like, the heralds of the Mist themselves. I think that was a statement, almost like, word for word, where they, they believe, like, like, they, the, the, like they own it, they own the mist, they live in the mist, the mist grants them power, all of these things. And Vin kind of like confirms that in the sense that like everyone's heard these rumors, you know, another rumor for the Mistborn or where they were a secret like sect of assassins that all worked for the Lord Ruler and that they would kill on a whim whatever he needed. Um, but funny enough, you know, with her being kind of given the idea of her, like she's a misborn and Kelsey is a misborn based on what he, what he told her, um, her brother, Reen, said that they were a hoax, that misborn don't exist. And so there is this kind of like wide spectrum of like what the, the common people believe when it comes to the allomantic powers, you know, we're kind of starting to see in this case that you know, Allomancy might not be well taught to people outside of the nobles because people seem to be, you know, they, they all believe several different things on what it actually is. Well, it's kind of in this moment that um, 
Vin makes the decision. She, up to this point, she's seen herself and her life as being uninspired. I think that's the word she used. And if she's really a mistborn, she will bow down and be Kelsier's slave as long as it takes to learn how to use this power so that one day she will be a slave to no one ever again. And she kind of like makes the promise to herself that this is what she's going to do. And uh, with that, you know, everyone kind of starts to leave except for Vin because they know the meeting's about to start and they're not welcome. And so the new crew leader rounds up the whole squad and they, they leave. And Vin's left alone until the, the first of the potential crew members arrive. And that is, well, I guess the first two. The first one to walk down is this kind of like soldier-looking dude. He's pretty buff, pretty strong, you know, fair cut. Vin specifically describes him as having the soldier look to him. And he's followed by a very sharply dressed middle-aged man that is um, in a nobleman's suit. And the two individuals come down the stairs and Vin's like instantly, like just instantly likes the man in the nobleman's suit. Like there's just something about him. Um, quite a charming gentleman. And the man, you know, just comes down and, you know, says, oh, you know, what's your name? And they kind of introduce each other and they figure out, oh, you know, she must be the Twix. And ask for a cup of wine and Vin just like, jumps off her seat and says she'll do it she'll get him what he needs and it's kind of at this point that Hammond Ham the 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 soldier um tells Breeze the the the, the, the sharply dressed gentleman to knock it off and stop manipulating her and the feeling just drops and Vin goes this guy was using luck and he was so good at it that I could not even tell that something had happened. I think she even mentions that, man, when Kelsier did it, you know, it was so blunt and obvious. It's so obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, my my mind fought it. Like, you should be scared even though you weren't, like, you could tell. But this guy, he's good. He's that good that she couldn't tell what the heck was going on. And, you know, we get a little bit of glimpse of Ham in this case where Ham, you know, uh, upon like having this kind of discussion and Vin deciding, you know, she's not going to help this guy out and him. One big thing that, like, that, that kind of stood out to me in this case was Breeze asked for the drink. You know, he used luck to try to make her, make her do it. He called it. He said he soothed her. And, um, but he kind of, ref- he refused to get it himself when, when, when she like kind of turned it down, he, he almost like in a way just said, Oh, I will. I'd rather not have it if no one's going to bring it to me. And that's kind of stood out to me kind of as weird, right? Is he lazy? Does he think like so many people are below him? It's so weird. Why, why, like if he wanted it, why didn't he just grab it afterwards, mm-hmm. you know? But we get this little glimpse at Ham because Ham poses this philosophical question to everybody. Like, you know, if Vin were to commit a crime while, uh, while under the influence of this luck, you know, is that your crime or is that her crime? And, Breeze just basically tells him to shut up, like get out of here. Yeah, he he, he entertains it for a while, but he's just like, I'm just, I'm over this. Yeah, yeah. Well, they kind of are, are having this chat when Ham suddenly drops that he's a misting too. You know, Breeze says, "Hey, I'm a misting. You know, I soothe people's emotions. That's what I do." And Ham goes, "Yep, I'm a misting as well. I'm, you know, what they refer to as a thug, and I burn pewter 
to become incredibly strong. And this is kind of when Vin realizes, wait, I've heard these stories a little bit. Mistings, um, mistings are said to be so dangerous that a single misting can, can devastate or kill an entire crew of thieves. And, you know, we definitely you know, saw that with Kelsier, Kelsier mm. being Mistborn. And so we can imagine that just a couple of these abilities still could be devastating in a fight. Well, while they're having this discussion, another, like, older gentleman that, that kind of comes in with a limp, he's, like, described as being, like, knotted up and just, like, gnarly. Um, he comes limping in, and they refer to him as clubs. And they say that he is a smoker. And we finally get told what a smoker is after having sat on a couple of chapters mm-hmm. and it's his job to make sure that the steel inquisitors don't find you. Um, kind of how we mentioned in the past chapter where the steel inquisitors job is to look for, look for, you know, mistings. Well, it's his job to prevent that. Kind of makes sense for the name. We finally get the last man after that to kind of show up for the crew, I guess in this case. And, uh, by the name of Yeden, and Yeden is the leader of the Skull Rebellion, which we will learn a little bit later in this chapter. Isn't doing that great. Indeed. Um, I don't even know if you could uh, you could really call it a rebellion uh, at the point it is now. But yeah, and uh, after that, Kelsier and Doxin arrive, and we realize uh, Vin notices something like really quickly, and that's that Kelsier and Doxin are greeted with happiness i think she says i've never seen a crew leader greeted with happiness from the crew before uh, but these people are really happy to see kelsier they immediately go into sort of that like that kind of like best friend who you haven't seen you know since high school that mode where you just try to hey you know what's been going on what's this job you know what are we going to do and uh kelsier very quickly burst everyone's bubble by pointing to yeden and going hey he's your employer and everyone was like, just like, oh, great. You know, what What could this be? Eden already doesn't like us. Eden voices that he he hates that the, the thieves lack morals and things like that. And But he needs them. And he needs them because Kelsier points out that their job is, eh, they're going to rob somebody. But uh, the main purpose of their job is they're going to overthrow the final empire. The destruction of the final empire. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, right? Like, you know, you go for the typical heist movie where they're just like, you got to do the impossible. You know, it's impossible to get into the bank vault, but we're going to do this. You know, this guy was literally like, we're going to end the final empire. And I'm like, mm, I'm pretty sure finals in the name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, their goal is they're going to overthrow the final empire and they're going to do it by helping Yeden. Well, the two specifics of the job is they're going to give Yeden an army. They're going to raise him an army help help him train that army and then they're going to give him, a, him an opportunity to attack Luthadel. that is what's in their contract that's what they have to do um they kind of ask what the payment's going to be you know breeze and ham are both like you know hey you know i'm as i'm as ska as the next guy but uh you know what's that payment going to be and it was like announced at like thirty thousand boxings which Compared to the 3,000 we just heard of seems ludicrous. I mean, it's, um, you know, 10 years of a cruise together, and he said it's basically everything that we could get together over decades of time. Yeah, and... and clubs, or ham, I think, was like, that's not even going to cover expenses. Yeah, that's not that's literally not going to cover the cost of what we're going to need to do this. And Kelsier to the rescue once again. He goes, well, 
We have a deal with Eden, though. Once he attacks the Luthadel and he takes the palace, we are entitled to half of the Lord Ruler's treasury, no matter how big or small that is. And they all kind of smile simultaneously, and you get that. And that means we're entitled to half of the ATM. And we get this, just this mention of ATM. No idea what it is, but it suddenly gets everyone's attention. The, the, what you can consider the top performers in their profession at this point, at least if they're working with Kelsey, right? The top, that some of the best mistings out there, if that's the case. If you're catching their attention with the payment, you know it's good. Uh, so we, we, we're mentioning that ATMs on the table now, whatever that is. And suddenly people are more, are feeling more relaxed and they're kind of like, they're, you can tell they're kind of getting in on the idea, but they ask, how are we going to do this? And Kelsier basically lays it down in four simple steps. Well, we need to neutralize the Luthadel garrison. You know, we got to get the policing force out of the city. Step two, well, after that, we just need to uh, throw the city into chaos. Pretty simple, right? Step three, Yeden's army is going to be raised and attack Luthadel. And step four, we're going to rob the Lord Ruler blind and take all of his ATM. Mm, you know, easier said than done. Uh, definitely. And there, if that wasn't big, big enough, you had to drop one more thing. Well, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. Because there's a little bit that happens before that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, Kelsier just tries to explain that, like, you know, it all works together. Him stealing the, the uh, them stealing the ATM is, is still a very, um, a very important part of this job. Because he believes that it will li- leave the Lord Ruler in financial ruin. Which means that if the Lord Ruler doesn't have money, despite him being the Lord Ruler, being this, this incredibly powerful ruler who's supposedly been around for thousands of years you know or at least a thousand years if you can't pay your men yeah you, you don't have much going on you can't pay your armies you don't have armies lannisters taught us that <laughs> you can't have your armies um we get another drop of the coloss here and i think this is when we actually get a description of what they could possibly be because i want to say hammond even says like what if they just march what if he just marches his coloss to luthadel and kelser says well if he does that you know these are creatures that would cause more destruction than anyone could ever dream. And so we would basically be doing the same thing. He would ruin his own city. He'd destroy his own city, yeah. And so he most likely wouldn't do that. Well, the goal at that point would be to cause the noblemen to fight amongst each other. You know, he's like, hey, the noblemen are going to fight amongst each other and we have chaos. We can do this, guys. He's just basically trying to, he's throwing some half-baked ideas out there just to kind of try to bait them in and say like, you know, these ideas suck but they suck because it's only me, you know, with all of us, we got this. Well, this is enough for clubs. Clubs is like, uh, you're a bunch of idiots. I'm out of here. And he leaves. Uh, there's always one. Yeah, there's always one. (laughs) And you know, if you know heist movies, (laughs) spoiler, (laughs) but, uh, there is always one. Well, people, they, uh, what is it? Ham kind of says like, you know, this is still good and dandy, but won't the Lord Ruler just get more ATM? And that's when Kelsier lets the biggest smile and he goes, well, I know where it is. You know, I spent a year of my life there and I'm now the survivor of said place. So I know exactly where the ATM is. If we, you know, so we, we, you know, 
there's a good good chance here that like we, we we have this in the bag we know where he could possibly get more we could even mess with that if we wanted to um well with that ham and breeze they're in ham is in because he just likes kelsier he even admits that he goes i don't care how crazy this was i was always going to be in i was just asking the questions and breeze can't let a challenge go but yeah clubs decides to leave and um i think he didn't even mention it but vin goes why are you letting him go you know he's just going to betray us you know he's gonna you know he might he's probably gonna betray us and she gets surprised again by kelsier and Dox or well, Doxon saying it but Kelser basically saying, like, I don't work that way. I'm not going to kill anybody just because they disagree. And Doxon says, yeah, we wouldn't have invited him if we knew, you know, we couldn't trust him, that he wasn't going to betray us. And so Clubs leaves. Uh, the crew's like, we're in. How are we going to do this? And Kelser basically goes, oh, yeah, by the way, go ahead. What, do, what, what does he say, Mac? I'm going to kill him, too. Yep. He's going to kill, kill the, the Lord, Lord Ruler. And at this point, you know... I think I want to say that like Hammond refers to the Lord Ruler as like a slither of infinity, uh, like a piece of God himself. A piece of God himself. How are you going to do that? And um, Kelsier's like, well, you know, he killed Mare. You know, not directly, but he sent us to the pits, and Mare's dead now. And because he killed Mare, I'm going to end his life. And the way I'm going to do it is uh, through this medal here. He calls it the Eleventh Medal, and he basically mentions how. You know, in, in far, far away places, there's a legend that if a, a Mistborn is burning and using this metal, he can kill the Lord Ruler. And that's basically where we're left with this episode, is that proclamation of that he's going to end the Lord Ruler's life. All right. Well. Chapter chap- five. Chapter five. Yeah. So this is a, we're going to open up and start off with the group having left. And it is Kelsier, Doxon, and Vin now in the aftermath of what seemed to be a pretty successful sell. Like they only lost one person at the end of the day mm-hmm. um, on a plan that's pretty insane. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, you only had one guy walk out. That's like a decent success rate, good hit rate. But yeah, um, the big thing here in the very beginning is that Vin still is kind of like iffy about them. She thinks they're still putting on a show for her. Like they, she has no idea what they expect out of her. Um Doxon and Kelsey are just talking like they're just still shooting shooting the stuff like you know they didn't just form a group to overthrow the final empire mm-hmm. but ultimately a big surprise happens at least not to Kelsey but to everyone else clubs comes back the old man who left in the very or left after the meeting the 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 smoker of the group as mm-hmm. they're calling him comes back and kind of drops a little bit of insight here he says that you can never trust yourself when there's a soother around. And he's referring to Breeze. The misting with the ability to soothe, as they keep calling it. Whatever, you know, that ends up meaning it. Kind of dumbing. and It's luck, right? Right. It's, it's luck. The luck that we've been hearing. Yeah. And, you know, we get another little glimpse here. You know, what actually, you know, they talk about how, you know, the copper, you know, or uh, they call them copper clouds, you know, smokers. They're trying to figure out, I'm like, at least... I am, what can they actually do other than, you know, they talk about hiding mistings from other Alamancers. That's their job, they're supposed to, or from the Lord Ruler. Um, but Kelsier mentions, you know, Clubs is like, you know, I, I don't want to be influenced by a soother. And Kelsier's like, well, you know, he couldn't even if he tried. Okay. Um, 
So maybe these smokers do even more than just hide you. And that's pretty interesting, at least. So mm-hmm. Clubs agrees, hey, I'm all in. I don't even want the money. I just want to overthrow the final empire. And in his own words, it has style. <laughs> that's a little bit of an interesting change and shift, you know, because up to this point, this guy's been the grumpy old man. And he's coming in here going like, yeah, yeah, this is going to this is gonna look good. Mm-hmm, you know, this mm-hmm. is going to go good. Well, Clubs leaves after that to go get the shop ready, to go get everything ready for them to, to I guess, have, have a hiding place. That's, you know. And Kelsier mentions to Dachshund, hey, I need more ATM. And that's the first little bit. I mean, I guess it's not the first drop. And the last thing kind of talking about it, it's the super rich something. It's incredibly valuable. It brought everyone in like they wanted it. But Kelsier needs more of it. And he decides that he's going to do it um, aggressively. He's not going to steal it. He asked Dachshund, what group do I need to hit what noble house do I need to attack to get this ATM? And Doxon mentions Venture, which we've heard them before. We heard them at the in the prologue. Venture is the big dog, the big, the big noble house, the ones that are at least at this point in charge. One of the bigger ones, one of the bigger noble houses. And he, you know, Kelsier mentions that he ran out because he he bought some sort of contract from somebody, and he also mentioned that he used it, killing Lord Tresting. So, I mean, it at least implies there's some power associated with it. Yeah, it has to be something a Mistborn can use at this point, right? Like, is it another metal? Whatever it is, if he used it to kill Lord Dresting, we saw that damage that he was able to inflict here uh, on the plantation. And you know what? We're in for a lot more carnage mm-hmm. in this chapter as this kind of discussion is going to be... Uh, a lot shorter for this episode because really I'm not going to sit here and recap Brandon's excellent writing in the fight. Lots of fight scene. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fight scene. But what we kind of get here is that Kelsier kind of refers to clubs as, before he leaves as like this uh, bored old man that is attracted to vision. And he mentions how him and Mare, his, his wife, you know, how they well they 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 with dachshund kind of like ruled luthadel essentially and i say ruled but they were very well-known successful thieves well-known because of their success yeah they were swindling everyone apparently you know i think at one point kelsier said this was before i was a normal man me and dachshund were both normal men while we were bringing noble houses to their knees and mare was a mystic she was a Tenai. Yeah, and he mentioned that Mare never got to see him snap. Whatever the heck snapping is. Right, because he mentioned earlier, I snapped in the pits. Yeah, and so at this point, we kind of get that confirmation, at least the question I've been asking a lot here is like, who the heck is Dachshund that everyone knows him? Well, this is why everyone knows him. He was a part of the biggest crew out there. And, man. They kind of have that moment again where Dachshund continues to kind of like nag on Kelsier that he forgets that he's a Mistborn. And really the trip over to uh, the trip that Kelsier takes towards Keep Venture here 
kind of gives us more insights in on Alamancy. We kind of get to see, he mentions using steel, and we see apparently he sees these blue lines that connect to metal. He mentions uh, some of his old teacher's sayings in his head, don't pull on something smaller than you unless you expect it to come flying at you. Don't push on something bigger than you unless you expect to go flying in the opposite direction. And we get a little bit of insight into at least steel as an alimantic metal and how it's used here. And then we get to the fight. Kelsier arrives at Lord Venture's estate, decides, you know what, I gotta steal some stuff. He kills a bunch of guards and brutally, may I say, like when he, he kills them, I think at one point he mentions, oh, that was a nobleman. Um, it could have been a ska. Well, if it's a ska who was working for a nobleman, they deserve to die just all the same. Any man that served the final empire forfeited his right to live. Yeah. Um, so Kelsier is angry. And, like, there are even points that he mentions, like, during the fight, Kelsier mentions that his anger was a lot worse with Lord Trusting, but it's still here right now. Mm-hmm. And every time he hears one of them scream, he hears Mare screaming. And he's, there's just a lot, like, a lot of anger here. But, man, do we get one of the coolest fight scenes up to this point? We get to see why Mistborn are feared. It, what's he take on like I want to say like at one point it's like 12 men at once and then even Alamancer show up at one point and start attacking him and but up until that point there were specific people designed to fight yeah haze killers haze yeah. killers so he, he deals with the guards pretty quickly you see why Mistborns are so effective he pulls the sword out of one of the guards hands and cleaves his head off before he can even draw a dagger mm-hmm the other guard, noticing he's, he's a Mistborn, tries to drop the metal off of his body to avoid getting pulled like the like the other guard did. And all he does is fling the sword at his unarmored body now and kill him. There's nothing you can do, right? There, there's nothing you can do against these guys. You are a dead man walking when you're up against a Mistborn with no powers. Oh, or so we think, because then the Haze Killers show up. And th- these are normal people who are apparently trained and taught how to fight Mistborn. Kelsier mentions how they have no metal on their body. So you can't push or pull them, can't do any of that yeah. stuff. They mention how they're trained to work as a group and they're trained to, they're trained essentially in how a misborn fights and moves. You know, if you've, you know, a normal person obviously is not a, not a soldier, they're not trained in a fighting style, but whenever, you know, you're trained one way to fight against a normal person, it's going to be really different when the misborn can move in all different directions. They can move the things around in their environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're they're trained with all of that in mind, and they are a lot more effective against Kelsier during this fight. Right, and and even still, like during the fight, you feel like Kelsier sometimes loses it, but you never feel like he's overwhelmed. It almost no, feels like no. the Haze Killers are always on their heels, even though they are there's perfectly of- and specifically designed to take on yeah, guys like yeah. him. Yeah, and there's eight of them, and. I think the worst, the, the biggest like injury Kelsier gets is he 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 flare, he says he flares his pewter and he lifts up his arm, and then he just blocks full on blocks what they call a dueling cane, and he mentions that like any other this would have broken clean through any normal person's bone, but with pewter infused bone like he's able to block it and it's mm-hmm. nothing more than just a bruise, but yeah he ends up killing seven of them and the last one just hightails it out because you know at that point why wouldn't you right right um and the alamancers show up the alamancers are pushing metal attacking him and he realizes at this point i'm pretty spent he mentions that his metals are running low one of these 
mistings, one of these noble mistings, was able to apparently pull his his vial of metals out of his hand or off his belt before he's able to like refresh everything. And so he just runs. And he jumps out the window. Everyone's cursing. They're trying to follow him. He gets to the bottom. He opens up the safe that he had pulled out of the wall. Well, that's the thing. He pulled it out of the wall. He pushed it out, and it, it broke into pieces, I think, or something. Yeah, it crashed. It cracked when it hit the bottom. And he opens it up. He gets money, jewels, and he gets ATM, which we now realize are these little black beats. And again, like, Kelsier's, like, anger shows because he, when he, the last thing he sees before he leaves is this mangled and broken corpse of a haze killer he threw out the window. And he goes, man, I almost thought to myself, was this night going to be a waste? Was I not going to have ATM? And then he went, and then I remembered any night in which a nobleman dies is a good night. Yeah, any, any night that's ended with the dead nobleman is a successful one. And that's kind of where, that's where we're left with this chapter. Again, a very brief explanation of what's happening because, you know, 80% of it was an absolutely like fluid fight scene from Brandon Sanderson.